Welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets, and other topics of interest for institutional investors. Matthew Peter is still on a well-deserved break, so this week I'm joined by Rune Jepson to take 10. Rune is a head of Europe for QIC Private Equity based in Copenhagen. Hello, Rune. Hi, Alison. Great to speak with you. Thanks very much for joining us. And for our regular listeners, they might remember that this isn't your first rodeo. In fact, we talked to you earlier this year in March, where we talked about a slowdown in deal activity and a bit of a flight to quality in Europe. So I was wanting to drill in on that a little bit now. We're six months down the track and see how you're seeing deal activity in the European market. Yeah, sure. No, th- and thanks for having me back, Alison. It's a, it's a great pleasure. You're right. When, when we last talked, it would have been springtime. And I think we were all looking into a summer of a potential slowdown in activity. And, you know, there's a couple of factors at play there. The main one being that, you know, the supply of capital around private equity has really changed in the last 12 months. For, for as many years as I can remember, there's been a growing volume of capital flowing into private equity funds, fueling the deal making that happens you know, at the individual company level. And that really changed about 12 months ago. I think there's a combination of factors that sit behind that. The main one, being that you know most institutions in this part of the world now have mature private equity programs you know that they're either approaching or at the full allocation targets that they've set themselves and so you haven't really had that that growth in capital availability that's for 20 years or more has really allowed pretty much everyone that was looking for capital to raise some form of capital it's changed the market into a market of haves and have-nots and across the board even for the very best managers fundraising is much more challenging right now than I think it's ever been the flow-on effect of that we see in deal activity in the sense that most funds are just trying to make their money last longer and they're trying to get more mileage out of the funds that they already have to avoid having to go back to market and find new capital in what's one of the most challenging situations that I think any of us have seen. That's really interesting. Are they concerned about potentially valuations in terms of their existing portfolio or about the companies that are looking to raise money? Are they still a bit or is it not really that you really just think it's more of a a total allocation level? Look, I, I think it's more structural than a question of valuation or tactical investment approach from these institutions. These things always get exacerbated when you've got volatility in other parts of their portfolio and potential declining values in other parts of their portfolios in that you know you have this denominator effect where private equity, because valuations tend to be more sticky, becomes a bigger part of the portfolio. And so if you're, if you're already at or close to the allocation limits that you've set yourself, you know, a decline in your listed equity portfolio all of a sudden gets you there. And, and you know, if you're sticking to those limits, you have to turn off the taps. And so I think it is more a question of simply programs built for private equity being at a, a, a closer to a level of maturity than they were before. I think in terms of valuation, the, the big question we we may have talked about last time was was in the venture and growth space, which saw a big run up in valuations in the 2020-2021 period, and whether or not we were going to see that all come back in the space of this year. We, we're still waiting, I think, to see a normalization of returns in that area. And interestingly enough, if we saw a big pullback in valuations across the private equity portfolio from venture growth through to the buyouts, it might actually mean that more capital becomes available because you, you then move out of this denominator effect. Yeah, it becomes a bit of a, a, bit of a cycle there, doesn't it? Mm. And I was wanting to ask you, I guess the flip side of raising money is the ability of, of exits to occur. Has that slowed down as well? Yeah, it has. I mean, that's for, for different reasons, I think. The, it's no secret that the last couple of years have been tough for a lot of companies, especially companies that have had either physical supply chain or, or exposure to raw material inputs, whether it be you know, everything from energy through to other commodities. Companies with that exposure certainly had a tough time. I think they're difficult companies to sell in that you probably need to be pro a lot of, of, of your current income to get a, 
valuation that comes anywhere close to being sensible. And so in those types of companies, but also in companies more broadly, I think we've seen sponsors be a little bit careful. And and I guess also going back, given that there's less capital on supply, probably less competition for these assets when you when you put them up for sale. We've seen sponsors hold out for exits. But you know, given the structure of these funds, the exits have to happen at some point. And so for every quarter or every half year that, that these exits are delayed, we're really just pushing an increased potential volume down the track. You know, some folks I talk to say that we should see an increased pipeline coming through in the first quarter of next year. Look, I I don't know what triggers that. I don't know what gets it to happen. But certainly we're seeing both less activity on the exit front, less activity on the acquisition front. And it seems like it's it's a delay of activity that that will hit the market at some point. Certainly seems like it's going to create some interesting dynamics. Have you got any, any crystal balls about how that all might play out? I think like I told you last time, I'm not one that's very good at predicting stuff, uh, but uh, you, know, you could see your way to potentially the variable that unlocks all of this being price, right? Like if if you have a material readjustment of, of pricing of these assets, maybe that changes things, right? Maybe that increases the the propensity for people to allocate new money to the to the sector. Maybe it doesn't, but a realignment of price, you know, where the rest of, of financial markets have gone could be something that that, that that unlocks some of this. But look, I don't know. I've been around long enough to not want to put too much of a gamble on that. Fair enough, Rune. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of an unfair question to ask. I get asked <laughs> quite a lot myself. But look, I do want to, an area we have been working on closely together is a consideration of how do we think about energy transition and climate change and generally uh, the concepts of, I guess, ESG and responsible investing as it pertains to private equity investments. And Europe has always been at the forefront of really thinking about how do we incorporate that into investment portfolios. And from my perspective, I think private equity is a really interesting space to think about it because there is a lot of more capital light, but innovative technologies, innovative applications in ways that you might be able to accelerate change somewhat rapidly. And I was just interested in terms of the work that you've been looking at is how you're seeing this sector evolve within the private equity universe. Yeah, it's been really interesting to follow, Alison. I think this whole concept of responsible investing in, in private equity, it's been around for a while. We've kind of struggled a bit to make it work just for the fact that it's the, the way in which it's been implemented has been fairly diffuse. And because it's been so broad, it, it tended to be something that could take any shape that you wanted it to shape. And and kind of, you know, when it is that amorphous a, a concept, it, it, it becomes a bit meaningless in, in the long run. I think that's changing. And I think, it, you know, we're, we're seeing evidence of that having changed. And, and I think there's a lot more to come, uh, you know, and, and the key driver of that is recognition of the need for energy transition and the need for decarbonisation in the economy being something that has to be met by institutional capital. And so, you know, that that's really focused the attention of some of these investment strategies, I think, and at least as it pertains to energy transition and decarbonisation, it's it certainly narrowed down the concept of what is responsible investing to, to something very tangible and concrete and something that can be measured and something that can be implemented in a, a structured way. So I think what's been interesting for us, you know, in the work we've done with you has been seeing how the universe of sponsors addressing this has also matured. And we're starting to see strategies that are driven in large part simply by the commercial understanding that energy transition is probably going to be one of the biggest megatrends that any of us see in our lifetimes. And the opportunity that offers to deploy large amounts of capital for potentially really interesting returns, both in, in the earlier stage technology development and the development of, of new solutions that can help solve the problem, all the way across to a, a different risk profile of capital that's more around deploying what's already there and, and, and more about implementing technologies and, and you know doing the bread and butter work of actually making energy transition a, a reality. You're listening to Alison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where I'm discussing markets and economics with Rune Jepson. Rune, 
I was just wanting to see, is there any sort of area that you wanted to drill in on particularly? You just named a couple of areas, as you say. It's a very broad church about what sort of ESG investing might mean. But is there any areas that are sparking interest for you in that climate change responsible investing space within private equity? Yeah, there is, Alison. I think, I guess the way I've been thinking about this has been, you know, trying to identify where is the biggest opportunity, not just in terms of opportunity to make a financial gain and, and put capital to work, but where's the biggest opportunity to have an impact on carbon emissions? And sometimes the issues that come to us first are the ones that are most visible and most tangible right in front of us, but they might not be where the biggest opportunity sits. And I think that's that's certainly the case here, where we look at the built environment, urban infrastructure, and its contribution to the carbon that's being emitted into the atmosphere. That's clearly an area that needs to be addressed, but it, it needs to be addressed in areas that we typically wouldn't be thinking about in our day-to-day as consumers in the economies that we're in. It is, after the, the food that we consume, the biggest contributor of CO2 to the atmosphere. And not only that, a massive amounts of capital get invested into both developing and maintaining the built environment. So I think we've seen some interesting strategies that specifically address that. You know, I think there's a lot more to come. There's clearly a lot of innovation that, that needs to happen to you know, make that transition a reality. But that's been an area that I think we see ripe opportunity in today and, and, and we see an opportunity that can certainly scale into something very large as, as we go forward. That's really interesting, Rune. I think, you know, it's fantastic to see this sort of part of the ecosystem evolve such that, you know, there is ways to think about putting, you know, institutional capital to work such that we can be part of the solution and have that really positive impact. And that, as I say, has been a really key area of our research with your team yeah. in recent weeks and months. Rune, thank you for joining me today. Really appreciate it. And thanks also to our listeners for taking 10. Mm-hmm.